Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Blake's Buzz. You may have heard about David Popose. He is an awesome writer. He just wrapped up Scout's Honor with Aftershock, and I think everybody loved it. We sure did at the blog. He's done Gone to the Chapel. He's done Spencer and Locke. He brought war to the Wizard of Oz, and that's what we're here to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. Oz issue two is going to come out on Kickstarter, and we are so excited about it. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Blake. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for that lovely intro. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk. Uh, you know, it's been a long time coming. It'll be uh, almost one year to the day since we did our first Kickstarter for the OZ, and uh, we're excited to, to bring it back to Kickstarter for round two. Um, so yeah, uh, if you thought issue one was intense, uh, that was just the quiet issue. Uh, we're very excited to sort of, uh, now that we've introduced our characters, um, we're able to really kind of explore the, uh, the occupied zone and see what, what kind of warriors might be living in, in the various corners, uh, on the other side of the rainbow. Those are big words, sir. Cause issue one is not a quiet issue. I, so the last time we read it, uh, I had a digital copy from you, mm-hmm. uh, that you were so kind to send it to us for the show. And then after I was like, I had to get like a couple variants from you and I like needed the physical copy and you were so kind enough to sign it and stuff. And I, those have been in like in the bags and boards, like secured. And, and I was like, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm instead of reading it on the tablet, I'm going to, I'm going to like pull out the physical issue, dude. That's it's nice. Like spot gloss, cardstock covers, weighty pages. Like, oh man, it just felt good to hold. Like, I was like, man, this guy knows how to drop a Kickstarter product, like product. You know, I was lucky, you know, I had a lot of friends who, who had done Kickstarter before me. And so I was able to really pick their brains. People like Charlie Stickney, the creator of White Ash, um, Ryland Grant, who did uh, the Peacekeepers and the Jump, uh, Pat Shand uh, and Russell Nohelty, each of whom have a laundry list of projects on there. And uh, so being able to really kind of pick their brains a little bit uh, really kind of helped me hit the ground running uh, with the last Kickstarter campaign. And yeah, we wanted to make sure that that book felt like, you know, I mean, I know it's a little bit of a higher price point than anything you get at the direct market. So we wanted to make sure that it felt like substantial and hefty and like worth the money. Yeah, it felt expensive. Like it yeah. just feels expensive. <laughs> and the, the inside is expensive. Like that that plot is worth a million bucks, my friend. Like it's Thank so you. good. It's so it was, good. You know, uh, it was it was it was really 
really fun. And I'm just so glad that our readers, you know, we rolled the dice on that book. We had no idea how it was going to turn out. And, um, you know, we had uh, it, actually by the end of the day, we had over 1300 uh, backers for that project. Um, uh because we had a lot of people join us on backer kit after the fact. Mm. And yeah, I'm thrilled. I, you know, I couldn't be happier. And uh, I, I think if you liked our first issue, you're going to love what we're doing in, in part two. I mean, just the cover, the the cowardly lion cover where he's not yeah. so cowardly. Like, oh man. He's uh, he's Ruben's favorite character to draw in the series. Oh, really? Um, yeah, Ruben loves drawing him. And uh, yeah, he's, he, he's a fun character. He, uh, our take on the lion, you know, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much for him, but he's got a lot in common with Dorothy, you know? Um, I, I think in particular, sort of the burden of leadership, you know, and responsibility. It's one thing to be brave when you're just fighting for yourself, but that that calculus of courage really changes when you're the head of state, when you're the, when you're the king of the animal kingdom. Uh, suddenly you're not just fighting for yourself anymore, you're fighting for millions and millions of people under you. And there's a lot of pressure that goes into that. And, you know, it takes a lot to sort of get out of your own head in, in that regard. And so, uh, yeah, I really like uh, uh, what we're doing with the lion. And uh, he's just really kind of the first of, of several characters that we're going to get to explore further uh, in, in issue two. Uh, we'll get to see more of, uh, of the Wizard of Oz. Um, uh, I, I won't spoil too much about that, but uh, <laughs> he's, got, he's got a great scene um, uh, in, in, in this next issue. And uh, Jack Pumpkinhead, nice. Uh, you'll see in our in our preview uh, on the Kickstarter, um, he's sort of the the, the Scarecrow's uh, lead mercenary, and uh, he's such a blast to write. I love writing him. Like every line of his, he's got kind of a blue collar taskmaster kind of vibe uh, to him. And so every time he pops up on the page, even before art was coming in, I was like, oh yeah, his lines just like pop. Um, so he's a really fun character to write, and kind of seeing him go head to head with Dorothy and company. Um, yeah, it's, it, there's going to be some fun adventures in this next issue for sure. Yeah. I, I noticed his, um, the full panel of him yeah. and Scarecrow, like for just a moment in, in issue one, uh, man, that I'm so excited for it. I just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still amazed, you know, I haven't read it now, you know, a couple, a couple times and being more familiar with like your writing and stuff of just like the whole idea of it, like bringing war to the Wizard of Oz. I was also thinking about like uh, this last time that I was thinking about the color palette. And uh, I think Dorothy even mentions like when her grandma's telling stories about like this bright and beautiful place and it's yeah. not bright and beautiful anymore. And yeah. the, your, your color is uh, Whitney. They are just, their palette is so perfect for what you guys are doing like it's it's war torn it's it's gritty it's it's moody oranges and and browns and it's like it feels like it's on fire you know like it feels like a war and it's just all your team are you guys are all firing on all cylinders and it's you're making something real special here yeah whitney is terrific i mean i i i'm a big believer i got my start as an intern at dc comics i was working on a batman rip and final crisis and uh, green lantern secret origins and the thing that they really instilled in me when I was there is that um, if art makes or breaks your book, colors are what make or break the art. Uh, nice. And so I, I'm very, I'm a lot harder on my colorist than I am anybody else on the team because I'm like, you are kind of a secret weapon here. You're the one who kind of elevates the artwork to make sure it works. And you're also the one that establishes the tone and really helps establish a, a sense of setting, uh, you know, for any of these scenes. And so Whitney's really kind of knocking it out of the park with what she's been doing. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the best is still to come from her, I think. Uh, but she and Ruben are a real dream team. And, um, and then sort of having Dave Hopkins as our letter who kind of ties the whole thing together. 
and make sure that my dialogue actually works on a page. Um, you know, I, I'm really lucky. It uh, takes a lot of pressure off of me. To <laughs> I'm working with people who like, you know, it's going to look good no matter what I write. And, uh, you know, that's kind of freeing. Um, you know, it, it sort of lets me focus just as much on my editor hat as it does my writer hat. And, uh, you know, that way I can, it, it's, it's, it's a really, um, it's a force multiplier. It's really the best way to describe that team. Nice. Yeah. You, I mean, all your books you've looked out, I, I feel like with, or, or not love, I mean, you earned it. You're, you tell great stories, but I mean, you just have like, you know, with your action lab stuff and, um, and with aftershock and even in big hype, you had a, you had a good team. And I mean, it, it, it shows you know, big hype has some really cool art and stuff in it, but like, I mean, you're, you're one of the few creators in that compilation that got like a full, what was it like 20 or 21 pages or so? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things. I mean, I was so fortunate, you know, I got to, you know, team up with Jorge Santiago jr. Again for Roxy rewind. Um, you know, he is my partner in crime for Spencer and Locke. We're still kind of putting heads together in volume three. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things uh, when I got started, you know, I looked at a bunch of indie creators who got their start. And one of the people I looked at was Justin Jordan um, and particularly the strange talent of Luther Strode. And um, you know, Justin's a very smart guy. Um, and he, 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 his, his knowledge of the business and, and concepts for the industry, it's, it's, it's unmatched by many. Uh, but I think the smartest thing that Justin ever did was he hooked up with Trad Moore, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on his first book. And so that book looked so out of this world, beautiful that you can't, you know, it's, you knock it out of the park, yeah. you know, like, like, like you, he could have written anything if he wanted to, you got tried more in the book, <laughs> the image is going to print it. And so I have, have always kind of been like, I need, I want to work with collaborators who are like young and hungry and talented um, because I know that then, then it becomes sort of an X factor. People say, oh, well, this is one of their first books. Like I've never heard of this artist before. And they are kind of excited to see somebody like Ruben just knocking it out of the park. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like I said, it, it takes a little bit of the spotlight off me, which is great. It's a little bit less pressure uh, because I know that, you know, whatever I write, I know that my art teams are going to make it sing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to work. Yeah. Sure. You, you are quite literally sitting pretty like <laughs> you got you all your, I mean, every comic you've worked on has just had stellar pages. That's, yeah. you know, that's one of my favorite parts about, I, I've, I've really, really gotten into Kickstarter more yeah. in the, in the last year. Uh, I, I'm so much so that like, I'm in the process of like whittling down my pull at, at the comic shop so that I can, get more Kickstarters. Um, right. I started backing digitally stuff, uh, but then I'm, I'm now experiencing this new, uh, this newfound jealousy of when I get something digitally and other people start getting their comics in the mail. And I'm like, man, I, I should have got the actual, but you know, like, <laughs> like missing out. Well, you know, I will say, you know, you, you've actually brought me to a good segue here because I know that you're not going to be the only one who does that for the OZ campaign. And so uh, I, I, we've been very cognizant of, you know, what happens when people miss the first campaign or what happens if somebody just bought digital and now they want physical copies. And so we're, we're going to be offering a number of bundles uh, for catch up. So if you want to get the first two issues, we have uh, actually an early bird special for the first 48 hours of the campaign. Nice. Or if you're like a real like diehard collector, you know, and, and you want to get um, if you got all uh, all four or five covers last time, we've got a bundle for four all four issue two covers this time. Or if you missed out on all of it and you want to get nine covers, we've got a bundle for that as well. Very cool. So, uh, yeah. Any sort of level of collectability, any sort of, you know, if you missed the last campaign, we got you covered. Um, 
um, and we we will we will do whatever it takes to get you to catch up. Nice, yeah, that, I, I think that's a smart move. Um, and I I like the early bird stuff too. Um, I think it it probably helps you guys a lot too because I mean if you have like a, a killer first week, uh, I, I feel like those those day one incentives uh, and and like you're doing like pushing real hard to get signed up, you know, like the 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 get the get notified deal. I think is a smart move too. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, the way that Kickstarter tends to work. The, the way that I've been told, it's the first forty eight hours are the most important. Um, so that's why I tell everybody, like, if you want to back us, you know, back it in the first two days, they will not charge you until the campaign is over. Mm. So don't worry about like, you know, oh, like I, I won't have money for another two weeks. It's the not, it's not going to charge you right now. Um, you know, think about what a uh, 30 days from now, what could it, what, what yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 we're placed in Kickstarter's algorithm based on the performance of the first two days. Oh, like, um, like the, the projects you love that deal is that yeah, what you're talking about? Yeah. Projects you love and just how often are they going to get to tell other, other projects about you, you know? And so, I mean, it's, it's an admirable thing about Kickstarter is that that's their business model. Mm-hmm. They want to get as many projects funded as possible. Cause that's how they get their cut. And so, you know, a project that's doing well in the first couple of days, they'll start telling people, you know, for example, this happened with us. Uh, we launched the same day as Scott Snyder's Noctera uh, last year. Oh, and goodness. so, you know, it was, it was, it was actually having a perfect headwind at our backs because oh, cool. all these people that backed Scott's campaign were then getting alerts saying, Hey, here's some other projects. And the OZ was like right at the top of the, the list. And so, you know, all these people that had never done a Kickstarter, but got introduced because of Scott, suddenly they're like, well, what else do we got? Let's roll the dice on this. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I feel like, you know, sharing the word, you know, backing whatever you would like to back is, is huge for us. And that's why we're also, we're uh, trying to incentivize our readers a little bit. And so uh, every single tier, you will get the first issue of Spencer and Locke and the first issue of going to the chapel. You'll get uh, PDFs of those. Oh, nice. Um, and that way, you know, even if it's just five, a $5 thank you, you're still getting two comics. And yeah. then, you know, if you if you get the actual, even the digital copy of the OZ uh, for $10, you'll not only get those two issues that I mentioned earlier, you'll also get our scripts for the for the issue, plus the raw inks and the untouched colors. Um, because oh, cool. that way, if you want to learn about the behind the scenes of it all, and that's before any sort of stretch goals, uh, you know, last year, I was kind of caught off guard by how quickly I would need stretch goals. And so I spent most of the campaign kind of making up for lost time, figuring out, oh, what am I, what am I going to do? Um, I've had a year to prepare and, you know, <laughs> I, I'm trying not to put my eggs in one basket, but, you know, if, for example, you liked our winged monkey pins uh, from the last campaign, you probably should back this and tell your friends to back this because we might have some cool stuff. Nice. Um, same thing with our stickers, same thing with our prints. Um, you know, I, I've been preparing this time. Um, and so uh, we've got some really cool stuff in store that uh, I think uh, I think our yellow brick road warriors are going to think is, is pretty neat. Cool. Yeah, I, I was wondering if it was like how this being like your second big campaign, if yeah. it if it adds stress because you like know what might happen, you know, I've, I, I like it seems like the shipping part is really stressful and not fun for anybody. Yeah, shipping part <laughs> certainly. The shipping part was always the hardest part for me, you know, just because it's it it, it, it bottlenecks, and we're you know it'll kind of depend on how the, the the Kickstarter goes, you know, if it's something that's manageable for me to send by hand, I'll do it. And if not, there are other options that we're kind of looking into mm-hmm. uh, for that, uh, for something that operates a little bit more at scale. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm trying to go into it with with no expectations. You know, I, I mean, I, I'd like for us to get funded. I, I, I think that's uh, I think that's very doable, uh, especially with the pre-followers that we already have. 
Um, but beyond that, I just, I'm not in this for the money. I mean, if I was in this for the money, I would be into comics. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know, for me, it's about um, how many readers can we get on board? You know, I mean, I consider Kickstarter is a small, but very vocal and very passionate fan base that is oftentimes distinct from the direct market Wednesday Warriors. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, the OZ for me is kind of my way of trying to do outreach. And trying to sort of uh, reunite that readership diaspora and kind of invite them all to the same table. And uh, so that's really kind of my goal is just to sort of get as many readers on as possible. Uh, you know, it's it's a second Kickstarter, you know, so I'm hoping that uh, people aren't going to get too confused and they'll they'll know if they got the first one. And so they'll know this all I need is, is part two or I didn't back this and I should get parts one and part two. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's just, I know there's a pandemic going on, you know, um, which I know that, that Wait, what? and also, you know, I, I think when we launched last year, it was, a, it was a unique, interesting time, you know, Scott launched his at the same time as we did. Keanu Reeves launched his like a week and a half later. It's just so weird to say uh, still like yeah, Keanu Reeves Kickstarter you know, and his, yeah. and I like that comic too. Like, but it's still, when I hear people talk about it, it's still uh, just like uh mom with image now, like yeah. uh, these, these like big time actors, like getting into comics. I did. I think it gets more people to pick up a book. Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you know, I, I, I've heard the, the argument of like, Oh, they're tourists or whatever, but I'm kind of like, you know, it's not taking any, I don't think at that level it's taking any work from anybody. Yeah. I don't think it's taking any dollars away from anybody. You know, if you're going to, you know, if, if you're going to go for, you know, Daenerys for Game of Thrones, you know, like you, you will, you will plunk down a little bit of extra money for her that you wouldn't for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with the JJ Abrams writing a Spider-Man book, you know, he's not taking any jobs away from anybody. You know, they just said, Oh, JJ's interested. Yes. Let's do something. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I think you're dead on. I think it brings more people, more eyes to, to the medium. And, you know, if somebody, you know, picks up an issue of Mom or Berserker and then decides, you know, oh, well, I'll pick up an issue of Crossover or an issue of Scott's Honor or, you know, our Department of Truth, then that's a win-win-win, you know, uh, for everybody. Um, you know, there it's been a little quiet on that front uh, on Kickstarter lately, um, you know, and then who knows how that'll change, um, you know. Uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, you know, there's very little coordination going on between creators. Um, it's very much sort of, I'm going to launch at this time and I have no idea what is going to launch. Um, <laughs> so you don't know, you know, is this going to be the big campaign of the week or are you going to be sort of cresting on somebody else's wave? Um, but either way, I think it's a win-win. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I'm very curious to see how we're going to do for part two, but as long as we fund, uh, and I, I knock on wood, I, I hope we will, um, you know, I think everything else, it's just, uh, you know, the cherry on top. Yeah. Yeah. It, so when you launched the uh, the OZ one, I, I remember seeing it. It, I wasn't really into Kickstarter at the time sure. and, and I was, I, I was ignorant to your name. Like I hadn't read your stuff yet. And sure. so like, I just, I wasn't back in many, really any at all Kickstarters. It just wasn't yeah. a deal. I, I was, I was the Wednesday warrior. Um, sure. And it was so interesting the last time we talked when you mentioned how there's kind of like, there's three kinds of comic purchasers. Now yeah. there's the Wednesday warriors, there's your trade waiters. And now we have the, the Kickstarter crew. Yeah. And, and I've, I've talked about that. I remembered that when we talked and I've brought that up to other creators. And of course, like I, a couple of my friends and I laugh cause like I'm trying to be all three and 
yeah. like I'm quickly finding out that like I'm not a rich man. Like I love that <laughs> that aspect about Kickstarter where like yes. oh cool like I I can back it and they, they man it's it's oddly enough like the way my work paychecks go like I get paid on the 15th and the end of the month instead of like every yeah. other week so it changes kind of yeah. but it's always on that date and those dates are like exactly what kicks it's like mid-month and end month is how kickstarter yeah. campaigns start and end so it's like really cool like I'll be like okay yeah I'll get paid then but then I'll like, I'm like oh it's payday five campaigns just charged me <laughs> it's just yeah. like it's like zhoop, there goes the money but i love it i really do love it and i love interacting um it, it's it's not just it's a lot different than going to a comic book shop and buying a comic it's um it's it's an experience you guys are well i mean you're you're way more apt to to reach out talk to your fans on social media because yeah. it's helping you to you know, yeah. promote your book you're wanting to talk to people about it absolutely um, and and you know in in the last year where you know cons were not a thing like this was one of the easiest ways to like oh i can get a signed book or a sketch copy or something cool like that i think you hit it on the head i think it's a great way to kind of replicate the con experience you know there's that interactivity and i'm so glad you mentioned that because i feel the exact same way on my side of the table where it's like I get to interact with readers in a way that at, at a frequency that I don't get to do in the direct market, you know, um, because I, I think I think that's the reason why Kickstarter backers are willing to pay, a, a, you know, extra that they would at a comic shop is because it's artisanal. You're able to sort of interact with the creators and the creators are selling it directly to you. And I think there's a sense of ownership that comes with that. Um, and, 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 you know, when you have Kickstarter backers and Kickstarter projects that you really feel passionate about, you want these guys to win. You want these guys to, 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 to earn their bread. And uh, that's something I really, I like about Kickstarter. Um, you know, I, I've, I, you know, without opening up the can of worms too much, but, you know, I, I remember a couple months back, I, uh, I said something that I thought was pretty innocuous about, please don't pirate my books. And uh, I had people screaming at me for days being like, well, you're a nobody and, you know, why should I, you know, why shouldn't I pirate your books? And that's something that I never once experienced on Kickstarter. You know, yeah. um, these are people who they, they know we're hardworking creators who are just trying to, you know, make a living, you know, entertaining people and um, seeing how kind, you know, really 99.9% of all Kickstarter backers were. I think I can count on one hand the number of people who might've been a little jerkier, um, you know, that's something, I mean, yeah. and that's something that I think, you know, the rest of the industry could stand to, to, to learn from a little bit, but it's just, it's so heartening to see total strangers, not just connect with the work, but connect with the fact that like, I'm trying to make a go of this as my career mm -hmm. and, and that support, uh, really means the world. And it's something that I think, I hope will translate from project to project, um, you know, because at the end of the day, your rep is the only thing that you can take with you from book to book. Yeah, and exactly. That's, that's the thing I, I, I try to really work on. And I really try to remember every time I'm, I'm putting uh, pen to paper, so to speak, is, um, yeah, I, I want to make sure that it doesn't have to be the highest selling book in the world, but it has to be one that I can go to sleep at night and know I left it out all in the field. Yeah. I've told you this before. And when I've reviewed your books is I, you really do. Like I, I've mentioned that you have like that proposed charm that is like that you weave into your narratives. Like, so even as, even as dark as they get when, when like the, the you know, the, the darkness before the storm and, and when you're not, when you don't know how these characters are going to pick themselves back up, you know, you still have that, you have that hope in there and that goodness that's not cheesy 
it's yeah. empowering, you know, and you're really good at that. Um, and I, I remember that, that, that comic book discourse about the piracy, man. Cause it, that yeah. I remember that, that tweet had gotten circulated like 60,000 times or something yeah, of just like promoting piracy. And it's like, you know, like I get it. I get people are going to do it. I used to do it. I did before, like I was real big into the scene, you know, like it was just like, it was, I used to download movies and stuff all the time too, till Google threatened to cancel our account and sue us. And so like, but, but before then, before even then, like I just, I had started buying comics and I, once I found out the repercussions that can happen of like, especially with like big two that are so intense on the sales and the units moved and, and you're like, Oh, 30,000 people downloaded this illegally. Uh, and they dropped it after four issues. Cause no one was buying it. Like, I mean, that was a eye opener to me. I was like, wow, like this is a big issue. Yeah. And so, yeah, that whole discourse deal, like I, I hate and love Twitter so much because Twitter <laughs> has given me twitter's given me so many opportunities man and that's most of the traffic on my blog comes through me sharing you know links to reviews and and creators retweeting stuff it just sucks sometimes where like you want to leave it alone and and not even poke it with a stick but you're like oh, i gotta go on here and it, you know i mean it is very much a live by the sword die by the sword kind of site yes and uh yeah you know i mean it's it's I always I consider Twitter to be kind of the great flattener, um, you know, of, of, of context and 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 and, uh, and passage of time. But you know, I think I you were going to say of spirit, like the great flattener of spirit. <laughs> you know, it's 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 one of those things that it's like I think even even the piracy discourse now is very different than it was just a couple of years ago, yeah. which is very different than it was ten years ago. I remember when Comixology Day and Date wasn't a thing. I remember when Comixology Unlimited wasn't a thing yeah. or Marvel or DC Unlimited. So yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, these things change, you know, obviously. And I'm not knocking anybody who chooses to give their work out for free. And to be honest, I'm not even knocking anybody who's like, look, I've got like, you know, my library can't carry anything. I can't do this and I can't do that. And can I get a little bit of joy in my life? I think the thing that kind of incensed me was sort of, the lack of even like shame about it mm. just sort of the like well i deserve this and it's like you know <laughs> i i think i think the misconception the common misconception that a lot of people have is that you know comics creators are sort of you know monopoly men you know just kind of driving around in their and their convertibles and it's like no you know most of these even big places you know even these big publishers you're not earning a crazy amount of money you know per book or per page or if if that you know and um you're doing it for love of the game. You're doing it because comics as a career is often the long, you know, you're, you got to think of the big picture. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, it's sort of, we're not making, we're not making movie money here. And I think that's a, that's a big misconception. Um, this is more like a garage band, you know, it's a garage band that happens to have like a decent, like touring schedule. Um, and, and a solid, uh, you, a solid merch table. Yeah. A solid <laughs> merch table, you know, and, and uh, that's super fun and I love it. And, you know, if I ever make it to the majors, that's super fun, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I think just, you know, I am surprised that Twitter, I think, often encourages kind of a casual cruelty. Mm -hmm. um, and that that troubles me, uh, you know, and that that that's that that certainly troubled me to watch. 
but you know, I try to stay out of it as best I can. Uh, but yeah, in that particular moment, I guess I just poked the, uh, the Twitter <laughs> hornet's nest and uh, they all came after me. Yeah. I, I try to as well. I mean, especially with like the, the, you know, the, the comics gate stuff and all that. Yeah. Um, but I really, uh, I don't like bullies and, and yeah. I've, I've, I've gotten a lot more conscientious now that I've got the Blake's buzz brand. Like it sure. would, it would like it it would terrify me to get canceled like i've put a lot of work <laughs> into stuff and and like and i don't i'm not the type of person that would you know like i'm not a, i'm not a creep and I, I don't i'm not like a bad dude but it's just something in the back of my head like you know oh if if you get mad at someone on the internet like you i'm building an audience people are going to see that and if i run my mouth someone's going to see that uh, so yeah. i have to like pick and choose my battles very carefully you do i mean i think that's something it's an ongoing conversation in comics is just kind of you know uh it's an industry built on on underpaid freelancers and so oftentimes professionalism winds up being kind of like the first thing to go. Mm. And, um, you know, I've worked in office jobs, so I, I, and I've worked in publicity and I've worked in PR. And so I try to keep as even keel as I can, because exactly that, like you, you know, you, you know, you want to make sure that you're careful and, and that you don't say anything that's out of line. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Twitter, Twitter, but even, even just sort of common sense stuff, it's just, you know, Twitter, it's just, it, it is a place where often the, the worst bad faith takes <laughs> are the things that get the, the most mileage. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough place to be. Um, but I, I'm really grateful that I've been very fortunate that, you know, 95% of the time, my interactions are very positive. And I, I know that some of that's just my privilege of being a, a, a straight white guy. Um, but some of that I think is also that I, I've been really fortunate with the readership. That yeah. I've had. And, You're uh, very kind to your fans online and stuff. I review a lot of comics and it's, it's rare. You can actually tell, like you read the review, you don't just retweet it. You'll like quote a line of it. You, and, and you'll, you'll thank people and thank the people that wrote the review. And I mean, a lot of people don't, don't do that. And as a blogger, like that stuff sure. helps us so much. You know, I, I think some of that's just, you know, I got my start, you know, I, I mean, I was working as a reviewer for over a decade. And so I remember what it felt like to have creators like actively, like really read the work. And I think, I, you know, I've made friends with, with creators based on that Yeah. Uh, in my time in the trenches, you know, I mean, and yeah, I feel, you know, <laughs> some of it's because I've tried every like stable job and this is the one that I think I'm like <laughs> halfway good at. Um, but I consider it a real privilege um, that somebody would take time out of their, not only to take time out of their life to read and comment on my work, but they often do it in such a beautiful way. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's everything that I can bring to the table in a book, but once it's out, you know, it's once it's in your hands, it's out of mind. Yeah. And seeing the way that reviewers can kind of recontextualize the work and what pops out of them. And some of that's intentional on my part. And some of that is just like pure dumb luck. <laughs> Um, but I think as long as, you know, I, I, I've been pretty fortunate that it's been very, very rare in my career that I've ever had a, a, a review that I knew was kind of in bad faith. Um, and those, you know, you take your moment, you kind of breathe, you, you vet to a friend privately, and then you just let it go, yeah. you know, um, uh, but you know, even then some of the, some of the bad ones are still pretty good. I mean, somebody, Somebody once uh, called Spencer and Locke uh, kindergarten level Alan Moore, and I said, <laughs> "I don't think you, I don't think you know what an insult is because all I'm hearing is Alan Moore." Right, yeah, uh, like you, <laughs> you still compared me to Alan Moore. You compared so. me to Alan Moore. <laughs> Thank you. It's as it the best worst review I've ever gotten. Um, I like want to get that made on like business cards and t-shirts. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, uh, but, stretch goal. <laughs> yeah, my stretch goal. Kindergarten level Alan Moore. You know, it's it's nice. I mean, I consider it a huge compliment um, when people read my work. And so the very least I can do is acknowledge that and, and thank them. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, just as someone who's like tried to get stuff published and like, you know, like the the handful of rejection letters and stuff I've gotten, which is like the normative part of the game. Like it wasn't, it's not like a heartbreaking deal, but um, there's like a couple feelings that I would like to experience one day. Like I've talked to guys like you seen your book at a comic book store, having an artist like email you a really killer page mm-hmm. and you get to see that in your email. And then like, having someone like review your work like positively uh because it freaks me out when like a lot of people have have dm me and and commented on me and they're like hey i really like your podcast and and like i'm i'm back in these kickstarter books you're talking about like you're like thank you for showing this to me and i'm like whoa like you know like all i've I've ever really done is like run my mouth and i try to be positive you know like i i try to you know talk i don't like i don't want to negative review books i don't even bad books are someone's baby and I'm not trying to shit on someone's baby. No one wants that. It's a great bit of perspective. That's, that's one that took me a long time to kind of get is um, I feel like with rare exception, um, I don't know kind of what the impact a negative review has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and not I covering think, it says a lot, like yeah, just not talking about it. I think, um, I mean, to be fair, I mean, they, there are some books that like through, you know, either ignorance or, you know, it's usually ignorance, but rather than outright malice, you know, there are some books that are harmful, you know, and, and so that I, I, I agree, like bears conversation. But beyond that, I think um, some somebody was, I, I saw somebody tweeting about this the other day, I wish I remember who it was, but they were saying, you know, have you ever read a book that was perfect except for one detail and that one flaw took you out of the book? Mm. And for a long time, that used to be me. And I'm realizing that was such a a restrictive way of reading, you know, um, and, and one that I think kind of uh, kept me out of experiencing the joy out of a lot of these books. And so, uh, you know, I love my time as a reviewer. I, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think it was the boot camp that I needed to become the writer that I am today. I, I think there's something to be said for additive criticism rather than, you know, leaning too heavily on anything negative. Yeah. And I think some of that's kind of the way that the comics journalism industry is is designed, you know, there's never enough bodies to throw at the number of books that are coming out. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and there are going to be books that once you're at a certain level of sight, they will expect you to cover no matter what the quality. And so that's, you know, it's a real catch 22. I mean, I lived it for over a decade. And um, yeah, I just, I really respect the hell out of, out of the, out of reviewers as a result. I mean, it's, it's really, they're, they're, they're the most unthanked group in the comics industry. Um, And uh, I always, you know, I want to do what I can to just kind of thank them for, for taking that time. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. Um, And, and I, I'm sure the reviewers of yours appreciate it as well, or they should, they, they need to. Um, <laughs> it, sometimes it feels thankless. Cause like, that's, that's like that whole new hell that I've never experienced is like putting content online and then like watching as no one interacts with it. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, I'm a failure. <laughs> and then, but it, I mean, it, things, things are getting better. And like, as, as you build your audience and stuff, but yeah, like it, it, so much of this is, is so new to me and I'm loving it. I mean, you're, you're doing great work. And, and I think, you know, it, it's, that's what we need. You know, we, I, I think having people who will champion our books, I think that's the thing that, um, that keeps me going. I, I, you know, I mean, I love the work, but I am so used to 
you know, when I was writing reviews, for example, there were times where, you know, you'd write, you'd spend an hour working on something and then no comments mm. like, on, is anybody listening? And that's something I've really been grateful for working in comics. And I think especially getting reviews and seeing people on Twitter is that, oh, this thing is on, like somebody's listening and yeah. somebody, this is connecting with somebody that you would have no idea I mean, the OZ, I've been really blown away by some of the responses that we've gotten, particularly from people who have served. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a veteran, but um, I interviewed a lot of veterans when I worked at a newspaper. Uh, I okay. worked on the, the local military beat. And so I was interviewing a lot of people coming home and just being like, you know, what's that transition like? Um, and sort of the fact that there you know, were people who, who have served saying like, oh yeah, like Dorothy's headspace really kind of echoes what I've experienced. Um, that's better than any sort of, you know, uh, accolade. Yeah, that's, that's a really awesome segue because the reading it again, I picked up on that. Um, I, I was like, wow. Like, uh, so I've had, I've had a couple of friends. I, I was in an auto tech program. I was going to be a mechanic forever mm -hmm. ago. Cause I was going to build race cars till I found out that like most mechanics don't get to build race cars. Right. Uh, so, but, uh, there were, a, there were a lot of vets in that program and like, I heard a lot of stories. Uh, there were a lot of vets when I was a bouncer at the bar that I got to know and talk to, you know, a lot of our regulars and I see them in this comic in Dorothy, um, and, and I wanted to, I didn't really pick that up initially, but I wanted to ask you like about the research you did and, and how you so expertly handled that really hard topic. And I, I, and I get the, the, the interview deal. Like, I didn't know you did that. That's really cool. I, once upon a time, I, my first job out of college, I was a newspaper reporter and I, I covered uh, state politics and crime, but I also had kind of a little bit of like general assignment stuff going on. And so, yeah, um, I, I, I interviewed a lot of veterans coming home just to, you know, kind of ask their experience. And a lot of things that people were telling me, they were saying, you know, how alienating and isolating it can be because like, you know, there's only so much that they can describe. You know, if you haven't been there, you don't, you don't know. Talking about, you know, sort of the shift from being hypervigilant, you know, um, and, and kind of how does that affect you back here? But also just, you know, it was a very regimented, structured environment over there. And then here it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's very structureless. It's sort of, you know, they throw you in the deep end of the pool and just expect you to, you know, hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. That's tough in general, let alone for, for people who have been, you know, dealing with some really traumatic stuff. Um, and so that, those feelings of, of, of trauma and PTSD and, and depression and alienation, I mean, those are all themes that I had picked up with my first book, Spencer and Locke. And so I consider Dorothy to be kind of a spiritual cousin to Detective Locke in that regard. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I gravitated to her as a character so quickly um, and why her voice felt so strong so early out of the gate. And um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, for me, it's always, and I think this is kind of something I, I consider to be crucial in any project I do. It's sort of, what's the human element here? You know, what's like the, the you know, how do I portray this as empathetically and compassionately as I can? Um, because it'd be very easy to just do like an edgelord gritty reboot thing where you're just playing it for shock, for shock value's sake and as big and broad as you can. 
And I, I think that's exploitive. Um, mm. I think that's, that's no good for your readership. It's certainly no good for the people whose actual stories are, you know, providing the basis for your story. And um, so that's why I, you know, I try not to treat my characters like punchlines. I try not to punch down on them. And I, I, I want readers to know that like we believe in them. Um, and I, I feel like seeing these characters kind of start at rock bottom and claw their way out. Um, that is something that it, it's very inspiring to me. Um, and I hope it's inspiring to the readers as well. Yes, it is. I, I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but like, I've, I've heard other people like, especially with scouts honor, like so, so many people read that and, and really enjoyed it. And I feel like, I feel like we all left, like just, just empowered and feeling badass yeah. after, after that fifth issue. Well, I mean, really after every issue, every, every issue, even when it ended like harshly, yeah. <laughs> as some did, you know, it was like, I, I, you like still keep, keep the hope alive. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, cause it's, you know, I know, you know, part of, part of good writing is research. You know, some people get more into it than others. You know, I don't, I'm not expecting someone to like write a term paper on top of a right. narrative, you know, but. I would say I'm not Greg Rucka, you know, <laughs> he, he, he's so, you know, he knows the details and granted that's because he's got, you know, 15 years writing on me, 20 years writing on me. Yeah. But like when you read a Greg Rucka book, you know, you can feel the details, you know, um, and I don't pretend to be anywhere near as thorough as Greg. Um, but yeah, it's like trying to sort of pay some attention to these real world issues, um, that are affecting real world people while still kind of having kind of this sweeping action adventure, like almost like a star Wars. Hmm. And, um, you know, we're kind of straddling two very different lines here, but we're, we're working as hard as we can to sort of pay respects to the people who deserve it. And, uh, so far, so good. So far, people seem to like it. You know, you can you can do research, but like it's really hard to like research human emotion and like human livelihood. You know, like I mean, you can watch movies and you can read about stuff, but it's some there's always that disconnect, and and that's what really impressed me with Rosie. It, it, there's not that disconnect there, and it, it's it's so almost jarring in the sense that it feels so real because there's like fucking flying monkeys and like. Yeah. Tin men and talking dogs and just you know it's it's all this crazy but your characters all even in in scouts honor like your characters felt real even with in spencer and Locke like this this giant you know cat imaginary friend feels real and you have this really strong ability to harness human emotion um and i'm and i, I commend you for that and i i also just like while reading the oz i could see how that would be intimidating and, and frightening too just because of like trying to you know encapsulate this life that most of us haven't experienced and this this form of ptsd that most of us you know people can get ptsd over numerous things but yeah. most of us don't know what that's like to be to be shot at to run from bombings to injured in, in a ward or to watch your friends die like that most of us do are never going to know that and you know and then think you know think thankfully we we have these these heroes in our lives that that will experience that for us so that we, you know we can keep our freedoms and, and, you know, lives that, that we enjoy. Uh, but yeah, like it was so crazy uh, thinking about like how you just were able to do that with Dorothy and, and knowing now, knowing that you did all these interviews, like also, I think that's really cool that you took other people's stories and, yeah. and made them, gave them a voice in a sense, like, you know, like, we don't well, a lot of times when you talk about a hero you know we think of like capes and superheroes and movies and stuff and you you forget that we have real heroes in in our lives every day you know like we 
you kind of take those for granted anyway. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, it's a different way to approach fantasy comics. You know, I mean, I'm always big into kind of splicing genres. And when I came up with the idea of, of tackle, trying to tackle the Wizard of Oz and I thought, oh, is he, oh, it could stand for Occupied Zone. That immediately was kind of like, oh, it's a war story on top of all that. And um, yeah, you know, like I said, we've got, you know, we're straddling the line here because, you know, we're not trying to seem like pro, you know, like warfare, but, you know, at the same time, just kind of saying like, this is a job, this is a job that Dorothy needs to do, but knowing and recognizing there's a cost, a real Mm -hmm. human cost to all of this. Um, And, you know, and that's why I keep saying like, we're kind of straddling between like a war story and like a Star Wars. Um, But, you know, the fact that we're trying to keep people remembering that like, there's a human being on this. And that there are other human beings that have experienced stuff just like this. Um, I, I I think that makes this book uh, hopefully stick the landing. Yeah, it's that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, other than just the craziness of the whole idea of the war in, in Oz and and this. The, the, the scarecrow using the witch's power and, and becoming like forever tainted and evil and just the, the whole spin you put on like this crazy mythos that like is so not what we grew up with right like you're just like you're just t- turning everything upside down in a sense tainting the yellow brick road uh, yeah. with blood and 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 trauma uh but i mean i mean that's cool enough but yeah like just the the human aspects of it and the human aspects you see like in in tin man and and the uh, the inhabitants of oz and, and how scared they are and i i told you before like one of the best panels when dorothy right before dorothy like steps up you know and realizes that she's going to help uh, when yeah. she has the flashback and she sees like the goblin family and then thinks of like her time, like yeah. in, in Iraq or wherever she was before. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I still like, you should have won a fucking award for that dude. Like that page, that page is so good, man. We're, you know, that, that Ruben really knocked that out. And, and uh, yeah, he's just an amazing collaborator to work with. I, I, I'm such a fan of Ruben Rojas. Um, I, I, I hope the OZ is the first of many books that we do together um, just because he's so talented. He's kind of like a, a young Sean Murphy in the making. Mm. Um, but he's just, uh, yeah, um, he's he's really cranked up the action a lot in, in, in this next issue. Um, but he's still, I think a, a, a thing that I have in common with a lot of my collaborators that makes it work is I'm always trying to figure out like, how do I make people cry? You know, <laughs> what's kind of like the, the emotional beat here. And then secondary to that is like, if I can't make them cry, can I make them laugh? Um, you know, but it's, it's, uh, I've been really fortunate that I work with a lot of artists who like get that. Nice. And they're like, oh, okay, you want to make them cry? Yeah, we can we can make that happen. <laughs> um, and so Ruben just, you know, he's a he, he's a very expressive artist. Um, and just yeah, he he um I, I'm really fortunate to be working with him. And uh, you know, I I hope he gets some awards. I um, you know, we're waiting to still to hear back about the Ringo Awards. Um, you know, we don't we have no idea who's who's been nominated. We won't know for I, I think another couple of weeks. Um, but you know, if there's any justice in this world, uh Ruben Rojas should be uh, getting nominated for something because he's 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 a real wonder yeah i mean you can you can be the best writer you know and you can you can you know really tackle emotion well but if you don't if you can't find an artist that can like replicate that physicality and that body language on the page like you lose that you'll lose it in the story like so that's i mean that's that's one of my favorite things about comics is how how well everyone has to work together to really 
pull it pull it off you know there's there's no one hero on the team like it, it's the team and it's the team. and your books really celebrate that i feel like too i, I i'm really fortunate um you know and uh, i work with really talented people and um yeah i i uh, i hope to continue that um but yeah i think seeing the way that the oz has been received you know hopefully that'll be kind of the first of many collaborations not just with ruben but also with other really talented up-and-coming artists um it's not to say that like i mean look if an established name ever wanted to work with me of course I'd, I'd jump on it but there is something to be said for people i remember spencer and Locke. you know i remember how hungry i was in that first book and i still feel like i'm pretty hungry with my books and so working with somebody who gets that and somebody who's willing to go the extra mile, uh, you know, because I think there are certain, there's a certain way of thinking that if you've sort of already broken in and already gotten yourself established, that every book is then just kind of, well, it's a gig, it's a job. Mm. And you stop thinking, oh, this is a book that could change everything. And I, I never want to stop feeling that way. And I don't want to work with creators who don't feel that way. Uh, 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 this is a book that could change everything if we do it right. And, um, and so that's... That's how I've been approaching the OZ. That's how I approach Scott's Honor and going to the chapel and Scott's Honor and our Spencer and Locke. And that's how I'm going to be continuing to, to approach my books uh, for the foreseeable future. That's awesome. Yeah, because it, it's it's a bummer when, when you can tell that people phone it in. That's why that hungriness you talked about, I really dig that in Kickstarter because I feel like everybody's starving. <laughs> you know, like everybody's thirsty and starving. Yes. And, and, and thirsty and starving. Those are, that's, 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 those are two words that describe me to a T. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, and it's not to say, look, I mean, sometimes it, it's not based on any sort of malice. Um, like I don't want to, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth because creative work is the hardest freaking work I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, and so I feel like even like somebody who like does not care, like they're still putting in work to it. But um, yeah, I think sometimes it's a, bit, a matter of like, you're getting overworked. And sometimes it's a matter of there are other directives at play that you kind of have to imperfectly work in between mm -hmm. and then yeah sometimes you know sometimes you just you, you don't have the right people in the right assignment and you know they're kind of like eh, all right like you know i already said yes to this so i'll get it done um but that's that's i, I think the reason why working with kind of newer artists is so appealing to me that's cool is uh yeah getting to see them grow but also just knowing that they're like oh no like i'm going to the mat on this book and that really inspires me to bring my a game too yeah it's like like college like college uh college football and basketball players players like just yeah. like they got that you're trying to get to the you know you're trying to get to the big leagues right and another thing i think is cool about kickstarter other than you know just how excited everyone is and how uh, you know it, uh the the risk taking uh the just the craziness and, and stories i mean there's some off the wall stuff out there man and it's cool but it's just you know like it's a bummer that a lot of publishers don't won't look at it until like I mean now like it's getting more popular for like some of these indie uh these both these boutique indie indie publishers to like pick something up if it has a successful Kickstarter campaign. I'm really liking I like it. My wallet doesn't the the solidarity of Kickstart now, like the um the constant email updates and and everybody like promoting other campaigns and stuff like that's fairly new within the last few months is when that started happening and yeah. you don't get that in in comics that you that you pick up at the store you know you're you're not going to read a, a marvel book and at the end of it be like hey my buddy at dc's got this really cool book coming out you should check wow. out or so you, you kind of that you know there's like that kind of like a competition deal of like sales numbers and stuff and and you don't get that in kickstarter kickstarter everybody's just like 
hey, I'm here, you're here, we're here, let's make these comics. Some of that's also based on the model. Uh, you know, I think the thing that I, I think is very easy to overlook on Kickstarter, yes, it's it's a higher price point, but the accessibility is second to none, mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it's so easy. Uh, you know, I've had to explain to my parents how to pre-order a book through Diamond. You know, it's not fun for <laughs> Um, and that's not the knock on anybody. It's just, it's a process. You know, you got to call the comic shop and give them the code three months in advance. And maybe the comic shop will remember, maybe they won't or maybe <laughs> know that this is that, that your family. So, you know, they might give away your copy to somebody else. That's happened plenty of times to me, you know, whereas Kickstarter, all I got to do is tweet out a link or send a link to, you know, my parents. And it's just, okay, click that, you know, put your credit card in, say, this is what you want and we're done. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's much easier to, yeah, say, oh, hey, like my buddy's got a Kickstarter coming out. Here's the link. And boom, bam, it's it's done. It's a five minute thing. Um, whereas, yeah, the comics industry, it's sort of, you can tweet about your friends, you know, but like half the time somebody's reading that, they're not in the comic shop. Mm. You know, they can't just like immediately, like maybe they can go on Comixology, but even that is a whole other can of worms in terms of, you know, how much money you're going to make per book on that and and, and and everything else. Yeah, it's, it's very much, um, yeah, Kickstarter makes it easy to share. And, and it makes it worthwhile to share. There's a reciprocity that goes on. Like you were saying, you know, I mean, um, finding out which creators are doing campaigns, suddenly it's it's almost like their backers are your backers and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and being able to kind of sh- spread the word, um, you know, like you said, the Kickstarter community is very vocal and very passionate. And, um, you know, if you're able to share with them good work, you know, they will be very, they'll be very willing to back it, but they'll also be really happy that you kind of gave them the, 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 the worry about it yeah it's 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 cool and it's 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 almost overwhelming it's um i mean i think the i think the pandemic did good things for kickstarter because it got i think it got the pandemic and the quarantine and stuff with bigger name people releasing comics i think got the stigma out there just like with just like with literature and, and poetry and and like the like the self-published novels and novellas you know there's there's still that stigma in that field where it's like oh you had to self-publish it you know, and yeah. and, and yeah. Kick, Kickstarter has has negated that in the comic book realm. I think. Yeah, like, I think so. I think I think even even a year and a half ago, um, it was sort of oh, you're you're Kickstartering it. Like, you know, does that mean that it's not good enough for a regular publisher? And I think we put. I, I think we've realized like what a misconception that is. Mm-hmm. I think we've proven that um, by showing some of the books that are that are out there. And I mean, it's it's still you know it's still imperfect the cross pollination between the direct market and and, and the Kickstarter world. Um, you know, a, a thing that has happened a couple of times that I've not been thrilled with is sort of, it looks like it's like somebody's book on Kickstarter, but it's really just like a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. Yeah actually going to be hitting the direct market and i'm kind of like i'm not going to call it a bait and switch but i'm going to say like it's you know you're sort of you're sort of using your name to kind of like double dip for something that's not really going to be the book yeah um you know and that's something i i don't want to replicate i mean that just feels a, a little crass to me but i think for the most part i mean you know seeing these big name creators you know i mean like jeff lemire for example you know uh 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 cosmic detective yeah man i'm so Uh, like that's finally done too we're gonna be getting that soon well not soon but you know (laughs) but like seeing kind of the 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 the, the wild success that he had for that, you know, I mean, I think that, 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 that says something. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 
I get why certain creators are, are a little gun shy about doing it because I think they realize like exactly how many moving parts go into it. You know, uh, if you print overseas and then the book gets stuck on a boat for three months, yeah, that's the problem. Um, and, you know, how are we going to distribute all this? I mean, I'm lucky this is all I do, you know? <laughs> and so if I'm not writing, I'm packing, you know, and, uh, but I can, you know, I could, you know, if, if I'm Scott Snyder, I'm not doing that. You know, yeah. I don't have time for that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing eight books on comicsology right now. Um, yeah, that's and, crazy. And so, yeah, you know, it's, it, it, I think that it, it becomes an ecosystem that self-selects a little bit. Um, and, you know, that's a good thing. I, 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 I want Kickstarter to be a vibrant community. And so the more people that join, whether it's in the strength of a big name or the strength of a celebrity or the strength of seeing a premise like the OZ, um, I consider that a, a, a win-win. It really incentivizes me to stay on Kickstarter as a platform for the foreseeable future. Nice. Yeah. I've, I'm really, I just think it's awesome. It's just a whole, it's a whole new scene and it, it's a lot more positive. Like the more and more I deal with nerds, I realize that some of them are just, they're just angry. Some of them, man, like they just, they, nothing, nothing makes anyone happy. Star Wars will never release a perfect movie. Like no, no one will ever just like love a Star Wars movie, you know? And it's just like, people are, get so angry about stuff. And I feel like Kickstarter has circumvented that. They like, they saw the chug hole in the road and drove around it and figured it out. And everybody is just so happy and excited about comics. And I really think that that's cool in a, in a, we live in a society where yeah. everything is just so negative all the time, man. And I, the world is negative and it sucks sometimes, but that's what, I mean, that's, we, don't we have need to, to celebrate stuff too. You yeah. know, it's okay to be happy. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love that about Kickstarter. And I think it's because, you know, you have to really want to be there. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to be there, then, you know, I mean, if you don't want to pay the money for the book, then you don't get to comment, you know, like, and and I think, uh, you know, I, I, again, I've only had one Kickstarter campaign and I've been very fortunate and lucky in that one. But yeah, seeing the way that, I mean, 99.9% of people uh, responded to that, you know, I, it was, it was really, uh, it was really positive and kind, you know, and yeah, every great once in a while, you'll get a jerk, you know, it's like, you know, one or two bad apples and, yeah. you, know, it, it, you know, it sucks that you, 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 you notice them, you know, <laughs> amongst everybody else. I mean, I think that's just the human condition, Yeah. but um, you know, you have to remember that it's like, oh, well you have, you know, you have another 1300 backers that are like genuinely like great people. And, I mean, uh, it helps when you, when you drop a banger like the OZ though, like, uh, it was, I mean, it was people that read this comic are like, wow. And, and I, that's, that's how I was turned on to it. It was like, people were like, are oh, you didn't back this? You're stupid. And I was like, well, I was like, I just don't really mess with Kickstarter. And then, and then uh, I heard about it and I was like, whoa, I was like, I was really stupid. Oh, I, well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you got it. I mean, there's, there's, there's never a wrong time to, to get involved with, with my books. And that's, I think that's something that I always tell myself when I'm like stressing out that I'm not writing fast enough is at the end of the day, like no one's going to care how long it took between the Kickstarters or no one's going to care how long it took between Spencer and Lock 2 and Spencer and Lock 3. Yeah. They're going to care when the book is done and in their hands. Mm. Is it any good? Um, and so, yeah, there's there's never a wrong time uh, to, to, to join us. We, we, we love having you. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, if you thought the first issue was, was wild though, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, man, just saying that like gives me chills. I just, I, I remember you talking about, uh, so like we talked about before, like, you know, one of the harder parts of a Kickstarter is, is the shipping yeah. process. And like, 
and uh i this uh, one of the artists i talked to like the post office like just he like sending out like original art and like it got sent back to him and it was just torn to shreds and and, and there's like a page of a comic that like can't be yeah, you know yeah. it's, a, it's a one it's a one deal you know and it's yeah. gone and uh and he mentioned he I, he like posted the pictures of like all the all the packed up books like around his house and I, re I remembered you talking about like being in the condo with a puppy like a brand new puppy yeah. and and just like i mean if, if 1300 people back this i mean this is like what a thousand box, a thousand books box. just it everywhere was, it, was, it was it was i think close to a thousand books with a brand we we got i remember the oz books delivered on a wednesday and we picked up ruby that saturday and um, so yeah i remember my, my girlfriend and i spent like three days packing as much as we could which was still just a tiny drop in the bucket and then that's when we got ruby what i wound up having to do is i had to give her a roll of scotch tape and so she was using that as a chew toy while like just so i could spend a few hours packing boxes uh, <laughs> but yeah it was that was tough i mean that is like pure just brute force man hours at the time i knew none of it and i was just like kind of you know just crapping my pants trying to figure out how <laughs> How do I figure all this out? And, um, you know, it took a little while. Um, you know, it, it, it was certainly a, a steep learning curve. Um, but uh, yeah, it's sort of, there's something kind of nice though, you know, about just being like, well, you know, the people wanted this. Yeah. You know, and, and this many people, I, my, my poor uh, post office um, at one point turned me away. They told me that I had to go to another post office because they were sick of getting all my packages. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's because I, I, I bought like an industrial laundry cart, um, like, that they use in hotels for like for for um for laundry and i was filling that to the brim with gemini mailers with the oz and then i'd wheel it to my car and i'd take it all out of the car and put it in my back seat be stacked all the way up to the roof and then i would fold up the cart put it in the car and i'd drive to the post office and i'd undo it and i'd put it all in there again it was just um you know <laughs> and they sent you away i still had a couple of, of of books come back to me and i was like oh you gotta be kidding me like you know um just because once you've shipped a thousand packages, when one of them comes back, you're like, I don't want to see this. I don't want this, this, this cursed thing. Um, it's so, it's know, like the Ouija it, board you throw away that like yeah, <laughs> comes back but, to your closet the next day. Yeah. It's like I tried burning that board and now it's like sitting here on my bed. So excited about the OZ moving on real quick from, from Kickstarter. You've got, you got another cool thing coming on the horizon. What is it? Um, September 8th, we get the, uh, the scouts favorite, honor trade. Yeah. Um, so you can call your local comic shop. You can, uh, uh, I believe it, this is going up, I think at the beginning of the Kickstarter. So you can still call your local comic shop and tell them to order it for you. I mean, it's a trade. So final order cutoff is not really a thing. Um, the, the pre-order code is J U L for July two one one two four six. Um, and yeah, you know, scouts honor, uh, if you haven't read it, just, just rambling off your pre-order codes that you just oh. know by heart <laughs> oh yeah I, I know these things by heart uh, yeah scouts honor if you haven't read it it's a uh, it's mad max meets Mulan. it's about um years after a nuclear apocalypse a cult has risen from the ashes and their bible is an old boy scout manual and so uh, our our story follows kit who's a young initiate for the ranger scouts of america and what happens to her when she finds out that uh her whole civilization was built on a lie um it's you know it's a it's a i think it's the most philosophical book i've ever written i think it's it's perhaps the most spiritual i think 
think it speaks to a lot of my upbringing. Um, I grew up, you know, I grew up in Missouri and I grew up in a particularly conservative, uh, both politically and religiously Jewish household. And sort of my political kind of reawakening when I left home and sort of my own spiritual journey, you know, and kind of realizing like a lot of things that I was raised to take as gospel were not really as bedrock as I had expected and how disorienting it was to kind of recalibrate, you know, based on my, my personal values, but sort of what reality was, um, that really informs Scouts Honor in a big way. Plus you've got post-apocalyptic Boy Scouts. So that is also pretty cool. And crazy, crazy insect monsters and yes, and, and political, feel- political drama and uh, secret identities and what it's like to find yourself in the the freedom of being comfortable with your own skin. There's there's so much that goes there's on. A lot going on in that book. I I will say one other thing is uh, not only can you get the trade, you know, uh, and 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 it will be available on September eighth wherever comics are sold. And I believe two weeks later on Amazon. Um, but if uh, we do have a, a couple very exclusive reward tiers for the OZ, because people always ask me during the Scouts on a run. I understand you guys have Ranger Scout merit badges. Can, I get can, we, can we get patches with the campaign? So we have a very exclusive tier. We've only got three sets, but it's all 14 oh, Ranger God. Scout merit badges. Oh no. So it, it's 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 one of our sort of premier tiers, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I I have a small handful of a full set. And so uh, you know, if you want to be a, a yellow brick road warrior and a ranger scout, this is this is the I would say not even the best way to do it. I, I would venture as far as unless Aftershock does some sort of offer later on, this will be the only way that you can get all 14. I firmly believe that if this Kickstarter takes off the way that even close to the way that the last one did, um, there's going to be a lot more stuff coming. So I, I, I want readers to know that we're trying to give them a lot of bang for their buck. Nice. And, uh, and uh, hopefully hopefully this will this will do it for them. It just goes to show like, you know, that that vocal, passionate fan base, um, it's really, you know, it's really something um and seeing that people were like going out of their way to get these merit badges it was just it was a really cool promo item too like just perfect unless the only other way would be like if you like had special cookies made for like like scout cookies um if the book wasn't good i don't think the patches would have been on everyone's radar like i mean that book was taken it was just taking everybody by storm i remember you know the I came across that book was because I aftershock started sending me review copies working with the couple podcasts I was working on. You know, I was uh, every, every Monday aftershock sends you the email for Wednesday releases. And I was doing my best to like, you know, I was, I was like, well, man, they're sending them to me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to cover them. I'm going to, we want to talk about them. I didn't read the solicit or anything. You know, I just got the email and I was, I was reading through the, the four issues they released that week. And, and I read scouts honor and I was Lord, man. I was like the whole, premise of like this this you know post-apocalyptic we're so oversaturated with post-apocalyptic narratives and and dystopian you know stories and and i love them i really like i I was looking at like some of my favorite comics talking to people the other day and i was like i was like man i'm like obsessed with the end of the world (laughs) just all my stuff is about the end of the world but you know i think especially in these times you know i understand I understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like embracing horror, you know, is that like we embrace the things that scare us the most and feel the, the, the most dangerous to us. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that's made the post-apocalyptic genre so powerful and so popular, especially now is that, you know, we live in a, in a tough world. Um, and, you know, we, especially, you know, we're all dealing with pandemic right now. 
I think feelings of mortality are in a lot of people's minds. Yeah. And um, I can say Scouts Honor in particular, I was really trying to be careful with how I wrote that book because, um, you know, it was one of several ideas I sent to Aftershock. That was the one that they selected. That was the one I kind of developed, but I was like, oh man, like I came out with it. You know, I came up with it well before the pandemic and I finished it. Uh, no, I, I've signed my contract though, right as everything was shutting down. Okay. So, you know, I was like writing this book during the pandemic, you know, it was really like, what kind of energy do I want to put out <laughs> in the world during all this, you know? And, and, uh, thankfully I think by sort of reminding, reminding myself to lead with the compassion um, and the redemptive arc, yeah. I think that's then. Then it doesn't matter how dark it is because that redemptive arc really shines that much brightly against the dark. Yeah, you gotta. I mean, just like with like zombie narratives, it was like that with you know when vampires were real popular a couple years ago. They're kind of starting to flood back into literature now. But you just you gotta be kind of slick if you're gonna come out with one of these you know kinds of like you know like the end of the world or a zombie outbreak or something like that. Even in the midst of a pandemic, when when it hits a little harder, you know, like, cause they did like you, when you're reading, like when you're reading comics about like a society that fell because of a disease, you know, when like everyone's scared to go outside, that's yeah. a head trip, man. But I mean, you, the, your, your characters and, and who they are and, and the whole scout deal, you know, like you, you put that really fresh twist on it. And I connected with it just cause like, I'm real close. You know, we talked about this before, like we're both pretty close with our fathers and my dad and I are real close. And so having a real good father figure, um, you know, even though that, didn't last <laughs> but like uh and and also just like I, th I mentioned in in the review when i read the issue five uh posted the issue five review like man i like i respect spiders you know like and what they do for the earth uh but they scare the shit out of me and and i have not i mean you made me fall in love with a spider and it hasn't happened since charlotte's web that's all Luca Casalinguida. Um, I, I will say, you know, it, it's funny because the way that that spider wound up happening, I mean, that was, that was, that was all Luca. I think that was like a little bit of like a lost in translation thing that Luca did. And um, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's dope. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. All right. We're going to run with this. Uh, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's very cool. Uh, but yeah, that, it was, we were trying some sort of like mutated chimera thing. And I think I called it, I called it the wolf spider and, um, and, and he drew just the giant mutant spider. And I was like, you know what? This works. <laughs> and I think that was a big lesson for me though, in, in, in comics in general was, it was kind of like realizing that like you can have a vision and you can have an idea and you can have standards, but recognizing this is a collaborative medium and that like, sometimes people are going to call an audible and you got to be flexible with that. It's one thing to be good when you have absolute control of the work. But I think I'm realizing the job is also to be good when you have to roll with the punches, you know, and when you are working in a story and your editor has other directives for you or says, well, I don't think that this choice is the right choice here. I think you should do X, Y, Z. Then it becomes, okay, well, how do I do X, Y, Z in a way that still, you know, it doesn't sacrifice the things that I know to be core and important to the work, but still, you know, fits within that framework that my editor is discussing. Okay. And some, or sometimes my artist, 
you know, my artist throws in their spin on the book and realizing like, okay, I might have to tweak some dialogue to, to, to accommodate that. But ultimately that's way easier than making an artist redraw. And so it's, it's very much, you know, a push and pull and a tug of war. And it's not something that I'm, you know, I'm perfect at. It's something I'm still very much learning. Um, but I think being nimble is a skill that I think is not reinforced enough in this industry. Uh, it, yeah. It, it, how, yeah. How much of that was an audible? Like, did you know that you were going to name it Tenderfoot? Did, did you know that like, no, She's gonna I, mount I, it like a freaking horse and ride it into that. battle. <laughs> I knew, I knew the, the plan was to kill the monster and um, and use its child as sort of a steed. But yeah, it's like there were there were a lot of things that weren't planned. That it was just sort of like, oh, hey, that's an interesting wrinkle that I hadn't really thought of. And then kind of leaning into that. That's something that I never really got to do in a lot of series because I'm usually so so much farther ahead than my artists, you know. But because of Scouts Honor, you know, our time frame for these books was really rapid fire and so i i'd written the first issue i'm pretty sure by issue two or maybe three at the latest i already knew what those characters looked like mm. um you know luca had already drawn designs and so that really kind of helped me get into the world a little bit in a way that even even well Spencer and Locke, Jorge drew the characters pretty early on, but I'd already written a first issue and I'd already written kind of an outline of the whole thing. Going to the chapel was mostly written by the time Gavin was on board drawing everybody. And OZ, you know, I had written quite a bit before Ruben really kind of started drawing. So yeah, I, I think this was interesting, kind of getting to watch it all unfold in real time and reacting to that. And I think that's, um, it's certainly not for the faint of heart. It's not, it's not something <laughs> I recommend doing for your very first comic, but having done it a couple of times, I'm like, okay, like, uh, this is kind of a, a fun way to do it. And, and, and sort of, it becomes like an improv game. You know, you're sort of saying yes and to what your collaborators are doing and just figuring out, all right, how do we stack this up in a way that, uh, that feels emotionally satisfying. And, um, and that's a, that's, that's a, it's a fun game to play. You're good at it. It shows, man. It, it really does. Uh, the scouts honor was, was very cool and it came out in a time, you know, just, we're at a time where we needed to, to we need to be reminded sometimes that like the society may not like who we are, but we need to like who we are. Yeah. It's a thing that a lot of people forget or, and they forget because we live in a hard world that doesn't yeah. appreciate as much people as it should. And, and I thought that that was really powerful. And you did that in a really unique way. My thinking is like, no, shouldn't you want bold strokes? Shouldn't you want big swings? You know, that's why I'm such a huge fan of what Jonathan Hickman's doing in the X-Men books. Mm. Um, and I understand that there's arguments to be made of like, well, the X-Men are no longer really residing in like a human world, you know, that they've sort of, they, they, they've, they've kind of absconded to an island and they're really kind of divorced from any normal human concerns. But my thinking is it's so unlike any X-Men stories we've read before yeah. and that, that it's so well realized and that there's so much texture and depth and nuance that go into it and so much thought and deliberation. Um, why wouldn't you be interested in that? Just to the sheer difference of it all. Um, and so I, I see when people are saying, Oh, I don't want, I don't want politics in my stuff. I'm like, no, like, like, I think there's, there's room for there to really grow into some very thoughtful political discussion in our superheroes. And, you know, don't you want superheroes that engage you uh, and stimulate you intellectually? Um, you know, I mean, if it's just another story of cat punching the red skull, like I, 
I've read that. You yeah. read that. If you want that story, go back to the long boxes, man. But I think especially, you know, you want to keep comics relevant. You know, this is how you do it is you tackle the issues of the day. And, you know, you look at the world outside your window. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know what kind of windows some of these guys are looking at, but, you know, <laughs> it's not the 1950s. <laughs> you know, the 1950s were not great for a whole lot of people, but particularly it's just that's not the world we live in. Trying to go backwards, there's, there's, there's I don't get it. There's, there's no, there's no benefit to that. Yeah. You know, only one direction and it's forwards. Exactly. It's nice to see our industry grow alongside us. Yeah. I know it's coming in stops and starts. And I know that, that as much as the industry says they want to do things the right way, you find just as many examples of people not doing it the right way. But I, I, I feel like the fact that we're taking the steps at all, as imperfectly as we are doing so, um, we have to keep doing it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, I think it's going to be a while before the industry really takes like big, bold steps in that direction, because a lot of that is leadership, you know, and, and, and that's going to take a long time to change. But I think that just seeing the, the, the grassroots movement of how we've been pushing to make our storytelling more thoughtful and more inclusive and more sophisticated and to really invite more people to the comics reading table. We are so lucky as fans in, in this time where social media is such a big part of all our lives, YouTube channels, podcasts, all this stuff. And the fact that you guys take the time out of your day, if you're, if you're taking a break from writing and play online or something to like interact with your fans and, and answer questions and respond like that, you know, you guys don't have to do that. You don't have to talk to us. And oh. I've, I've, I've watched Twitter, like chase, like Greg Capullo, like Twitter chased Greg Capullo off, off, offline for a while. And like, he's the nicest guy ever. And he's super talented. And I just don't understand how like someone could go after him like that. And so like, you know, I, I remind people sometimes, man, like guys, like they're just people and we got to treat them like people or they're going to quit talking to us. And that's yeah. going to change comic. Like if you guys didn't participate with comic book, social media and discourse, like it would be a totally different realm in a not good way. <laughs> Very different. But I mean, no, I think to myself pretty regularly, like I don't understand how people like Vida Ayala or uh, Max Visaggio, like, like, I don't know how they tolerate it. It's, it's disappointing to see people doing stuff like that. And I, I give creators like Vita and, and Mags and, and, and plenty of other diverse creators who are constantly, constantly being attacked just for kind of being a human being, you know, mm -hmm. just for kind of existing in, in, in the way that they exist. It sucks. And I, I, I give them all the credit in the world that they're able to stay on these platforms and still continue to talk to their fans while delivering really great work. Yeah. Um, I think it's a real testament to, to their strength of character um, and their talent as creators. Um, and so, so uh, yeah, no, nothing, nothing but respect for for the people withstanding this kind of wave of, of toxic invective, and um, nothing but disrespect for the trolls that are committing it. If you're a successful troll, you can't stop, and it's just like that's your life, and you're not getting, you're not getting paid for it. If someone's paying you for it, then I want to find them and <laughs> track track that money handler down <laughs> because like that's the real villain. But I mean, just like how do you have time to just hate? all day you don't have to be a 
a nasty little doofus. No, you don't I, have to do that. It's a choice. <laughs> no, I mean, I think some of it, some of it's a grift, you know, uh, yeah. for certain people, you know, that's how they're getting their money or they're getting their followers or, you know, and some of it is pure resentment because they've burned the bridges somewhere else. I think you hit it in the head. You have to remember that comics creators are like human beings, you know, and not even particularly powerful human beings, you know, we're just kind of, we managed to to luck into a, to a, a small kind of cottage industry. Nobody's, you know, driving around convertibles over this, you know, I mean, the days <laughs> Do you really? This is like the second or third time you've mentioned a convertible. Do you really like? Is this like? Think, do you want a convertible? Are like a huge status symbol for me. Um, you know, let me tell you. Let me tell you about a, a really bad investment decision I did a few years ago. I bought an Audi A4 convertible, and it was really fast, and it would go 130 miles an hour, and it was really fun. And I'm still like, I can't afford to make my new car legal because I'm still paying back taxes on this stupid fucking car I never should have bought, and yeah. it leaked. It leaked everywhere david (laughs) the convertibles aren't the great life (laughs) so what what you're telling me what all i'm hearing is you're more successful than a comic (laughs) you know comics people like it's very easy to mystify us not like like we're dumb people but like to, to make it seem like we've got all the secrets figured out or we're in some sort of like illuminati cabal <laughs> no you know the lizard people forgot to invite me to their annual meeting like i'm not you know i most of the writers out there i mean unless you're writing like spider-man or batman you know most writers like even the fairly successful ones you know they're still beholden to an editor you know or a publisher i mean it's very very rare to be calling your own shots really i i want to thank you for having me on the show um I, anybody who's listening to this and anybody who's listening to me uh talk about how much i hate twitter trolls um you know you can feel free to follow me on twitter uh my username is pepos d it's my last name first initial uh same thing on twitter i'm david pepos comics on facebook you can subscribe to my newsletter pep talks at bit.ly slash pep news um or visit my website davidpepos.com and uh yeah you know back the oz we're gonna be launching uh monday august 16th uh at bit.ly slash the oz comic 2 so uh, just visit our site. And uh, yeah, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you as a Yellow Brick Road Warrior. And Blake, I just want to thank you again for being such a strong champion of, of my work, but also the industry as a whole. We, we, we could use more people like you. And uh, it really means the world that you'd have me on the show. Oh, man, it's always a pleasure. Like, I will nerd out with you anytime. And yes, like... Back the OZ, check out his books, mark that date, because if you haven't read Scout's Honor yet, you need to pre-order that trade paperback, because that is five solid issues. That will rock your socks right off your feet, ladies and gentlemen. This is another episode in the bag. Have a good night. <laughs>